Well, if you take your Bibles at this time and uh, turn to Philippians chapter number 2, Philippians chapter number 2, and we're going to continue our series, Rejoice in the Lord, with a message entitled, Keep the Lights On, Philippians chapter 2 and verse, verses 14 through 16, and as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, and we'll just read these three verses together, well, I'll read them and then you follow along. Philippians chapter number 2, verses 14 through verse 16. Verse 14 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And let's pray together again. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have now to look into your word. Lord, I pray that we would have a heart to hear, and a heart to not just hear, but then to do. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk away from this place different than when we came. Lord, that you want to do a work in our hearts, and I pray that all of us would allow you to perform that spiritual heart surgery that we all need. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in hearts and you would do a work that I cannot. And I pray, Lord, that you'd be honored and glorified and that you would uh, cause us to now uh, put away the distractions of this life and to focus now upon you, your word, and your will for us. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As, uh, as some of you over this last year or so have gotten to know me, um, you'll realize, especially if you've been in my office, that you'll realize that I am a fan of lighthouses. Uh, I like lighthouses. Um, I realize that I live now in Oklahoma and there are not a lot of lighthouses around Oklahoma. I get that. Uh, but, I, but I've always liked them. I've always thought that they were a great spiritual uh, symbol. Um, I was counting up yesterday how many lighthouse items that I have in my office, and we were really trying to limit it because I did. I'm not a big fan of clutter, and so I, I counted that we. I have 14 different lighthouse things in my office, um, not counting all the different things in my house. Um, I have quite a few in my house as well that didn't make it into my office. But there's, very, there's four very special lighthouses in my life, and I'd like to take a moment at the beginning of this message to show them to you. Uh, first of all, this one right here is a very special lighthouse. This was my wife's wedding gift to me. And it says, hand-painted by your loving wife, July 1st, 2000. And so she put the date on there just so I don't forget the anniversary date, but... Um, <laughs> But this is a very special lighthouse, and, uh, and if you look closely at it, it's got some cracks, and it's been broken a couple times, but, uh, but I love this one because she took the time to hand paint that. Well, then, a couple years later, she hand painted this one. Merry Christmas, Eric, with lots of love, Julie, 2002. So she hand painted this lighthouse as well, so both of these are very, very special to me. 
And then uh, one that was recently given to me uh, for Father's Day this year was this one right here. Um, a young man named Seth uh, did some scroll saw work and uh, did this by hand as well. And uh, he didn't give it to me actually on Father's Day. It took him a little longer than Father's Day. Father's Day kind of came and went, and uh, he gave this to me on uh, July 26th, 2019. So this year, uh, he gave this to me. And so this is prominently displayed in my office as well, because this is special to me. But the one that really means a lot to me is this one right here. This is one, and I think I've shown this one before, but this one was um, some cross-stitch that my mom did right before she passed away. And this was, it says, To Eric, 1997, Love Mom and Dad. So my mom did this right before she went to heaven because she knew how much I love lighthouses. Um, and lighthouses have, of course, a great uh, symbolic meaning to them. It was growing dark. The waves of the vast Lake Erie, almost a little ocean in itself, hissed and curled against the base of the inner lighthouse near Cleveland, Ohio. The lighthouse keeper's job wasn't always convenient. His job was to keep the great lighthouse inside the harbor lit and also tend and light a line of smaller oil lanterns to guide ships into the channel toward the harbor. The inner harbor had been created as a safe haven where ships could flee when the sudden and dangerous Lake Erie storms arose. Well, despite the great lighthouse beacon, a ship would be dashed to pieces on the rocks without the little lights to lead them through the narrow rock-lined passage. You can imagine what it would be like to go out into the gathering blackness and painstakingly trudge from light to light, uh, filling and lighting each lantern. It was a thankless task. The lighthouse keeper had been on this job for several years and rarely had any ship needed to find the harbor at night. Why would he even bother? Well, maybe it was the discouraging thought or his health or an oversight, but whatever the reason, the lights were not lit that night. As the night deepened, a violent storm hurled itself upon Lake Erie that could toss great ships as if they were toys and smash them against the shorelines with terrifying, deadly menace. The storms on this huge lake are not to be trifled with. And as the tempest grew into roaring mountains of turbulent waves and screaming winds, a, a desperate captain tensed beside the wheel of his ship. Nearby stood an old pilot, also straining his eyes into the ominous blackness. Underneath, the ship heaved and creaked, and the wooden decks were slippery with water. Captain squinted into the darkness. Are you sure this is Cleveland? He asked the pilot. Quite sure, sir, replied the pilot, his hand clamped fast upon the wheel. But where are the lower lights? Well, they're out, sir. Can we make it then? We must, sir, or we'll perish. There was nothing else they could do. Desperately, the old pilot tried to find his way into the channel without the lights that should have been there. But the pitiless sea fractured and pulverized the ship against the rocky shoreline, and many lives were lost that night, all because one man who did not do his job. Well, a young man named Philip 
Bliss read with horror the headlines and the story of how one man's careless negligence could be so deadly. But it was only when he heard D.L. Moody use it in a sermon that it struck him to the heart. Moody ended his stirring sermon with, Brethren, the master will take care of the great lighthouse. Let us keep the lower lights burning. As Philip told a friend afterwards, when I heard Mr. Moody use it as an illustration in his sermon that night, I, I cried in my heart, cried out in my heart, Philip, you're just as guilty as the man in the story. As a Christian, you are to be one of the lower lights shining brightly so that some poor soul tossed about on the sea of life may find safety and everlasting life in the haven that God has prepared. The story struck in his mind forcefully. And within a week, Philip Bliss had written the hymn which we sing today. Brightly beams our Father's mercy from his lighthouse evermore. But to us he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor fainting, struggling seamen you may rescue. You may save. You know, Jesus said of himself in John 8 and verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. But then it was also Jesus who called us the light of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. City that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And then he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Paul here, as he writes this portion of Scripture, he's encouraging these these believers there at the church at Philippi, to be bright and shining lights. Verse number 14, he says, um, I'm sorry, verse number 15, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. He's encouraging them to keep the lights on, to keep the lights burning. This morning, I want to notice in this passage of Scripture four elements of the encouragement that we have tonight, this morning, on keeping the lights on. First of all, before we get into this shining the light, first of all, we see a pointed warning in verse number 14. This kind of seems, at first glance, out of place. Like, hey, the Christian life is about being a shining light. Why do we need verse 14? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. He gives them a pointed warning that we all also need to take heed to as well. First of all, notice here the requirement. The requirement is that we do all things without murmuring and disputings. The idea is that we're not walking around as complainers. You see, we, need, we, we have a choice of either being a whiner or a witness. It's one or the other. I heard about a bumper sticker recently that I thought was good. I'm not one for putting bumper stickers on my vehicles, but this one might be a good one to put on. And it simply said, stop global whining. 
How many of you this morning believe that God is good all the time? Would you raise your hand? All the time. Amen. You can put your hands down. Sure. Because it's his nature. It's who he is. He is a good God. He never has a lapse in his goodness, does he? Okay, then then why do we murmur? Why do we complain then? I won't ask for a show of hands, but I think all of our hands would probably go up and say, there are times when I complained. There are times when I gripe. There are times when I murmur. You see, every time that I murmur, every time that I complain and become discontent about my lot in life, in reality, what I'm doing, I'm displaying a low confidence in the provision of the almighty and always good God. So are you. Say, well, I don't really like what's going on in my life. You know, they did this to me and I'm just... You know what you're doing? You're saying, God, you're not good in my life. And that's what I'm doing too. You realize that more people were put to death for complaining than for any other sin in the Old Testament? Do you catch that? If you, if you research it and check it out, it's, it's true. Take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 16 really quickly this, this morning. Exodus chapter 16. What does this have to do with being a lighthouse? I thought we were supposed to talk about being a light. Why do we have to talk about complaining? Why can't we talk about somebody else's sin? I hear you. As I was studying, I was convicted of this. Exodus chapter 16. And they took their journey, verse number 1, from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of sin. Coincidence? I think not. Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. Verse 2, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So there was some murmuring going on. There was some complaining. Verse 3, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full? For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Obviously, that was not the case. But they began to get to the point where they thought that, I know your whole purpose in this was just to kill us out here. Verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. It shall come to pass on the sixth day, they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Moses and Aaron said it unto all the children of Israel, At even then shall you know that the Lord hath brought you up, uh, brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the, what's the next word? The Lord. Well, verse number two says they murmured against Moses and Aaron. But in verse number seven, he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that we murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings which ye murmur against him. And what are we 
Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. So every time you complain about what's going on in our nation, every time you and I complain about what's going on in our individual lives, what we're doing is, God, you're not good enough. God, you don't really know what you're doing, do you? Obviously, God is completely in charge, and he's good to allow what's going on in our lives. You can flip back to Philippians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, here's a reference I'll throw out. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Because of their murmurings, they were destroyed. There were great consequences for their complaining, their griping. Proverbs 19 and verse 3, the foolish... The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. It was Mark Twain who said, don't complain and talk about all your problems, because 80% of the people don't care. The other 20% will think you deserve them. How true that is. So God here, or Paul here, is giving the requirement for all of us as believers is to do all things without murmurings and disputing. Well, what about things I don't like to do? Can't I complain about those? Oh, do all things without murmurings and disputings. You mean the thing that no one else wants to do and I always get stuck doing it? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That's the requirement. But notice here the reason. And we'll see now why God put this in here, why God inspired Paul to write this. Verse number 15, he gives us the reason why we should do all things without murmurings and disputings. Verse 15 says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. He says if, if you're constantly griping and murmuring and complaining, I'm telling you, you're not going to be harmless. You're not going to be blameless. And you start talking about, hey, here's an invitation to our, our special friend day we're having at Cornerstone Baptist Church. They're going to say, you're always complaining about what's going on at work. You're always complaining about the boss. You're always complaining about the other employees. Why would I want to go to your church? Do you see the reason why God put this in here? If you think back again, we talked about this at the very beginning of this study uh, as we introduced the book of Philippians, do you remember how it was all started? When Paul went there in the book of Acts chapter number 16 and how he went and, and talked to Lydia and she became a Christian and then he was cast into prison, he and Silas. You remember what they were doing? Oh, they must have been griping and murmuring and complaining, right? They must have been sitting there in their prison cell going, Silas, this ain't fair. Like, what did we do to get here? We were trying to do what's right. We were trying to honor the Lord and look at us in these bonds in prison. This is completely unjust. God, do you really know what you're doing here? And Silas would be like, you know what? You're right, Paul. This ain't right. I'm tired of this serving the Lord thing. If this is where it gets us, and that jailer's over there listening to this conversation. The earthquake comes. 
Do you think he's really going to say, what must I do to be saved? Do you really think he's going to say, hey, I want what you have? He wouldn't wouldn't have said that. It was because they were in prison saying, man, God is good. He's got a reason. He's got a purpose for this. Let's sing sing some songs. Let's do a little singspiration. What's your favorite song, Paul? Oh, it's Amazing Grace. That's great. Uh, Silas, okay, well, after that, what's your favorite song? Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Wonderful. Let's sing all those. And they're singing praises to the Lord. They're probably, honestly, singing some of the psalms. But look, because they had the right attitude, it helped their testimony when it came down to it. So can I ask, how is your testimony based on the attitude that you've had around others? Or are you a griper and complainer, and as a result, no one wants what you have? And you go and try to be a witness, and people are like, yeah, like, I really want what you want, what you have. There was something about Paul and Silas that made that jailer say, you know what? I've been hearing you guys talk about it. I've been hearing you guys sing about it. Man, I want what you have. What must I do to be saved as well? Say, well, look, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's just a little snide remark here or there. I mean, it's not like I've done anything really bad. Paul says that our attitude very much impacts our testimony in a powerful way. So if we're doing things without murmuring and disputing and we have a good attitude and we're guarding our mouth, then we'll be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. As we begin to witness for the Lord, it'll be evident that we believe, we really believe what we say we believe. If we're living a life without murmuring and disputing. So we see here first a pointed warning. Secondly, notice here a perverse world. In verse number 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. We see here, first of all, it's described as a crooked world. It is crooked. As I think about this, I think of Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light, light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. It's a backwards nation. It's a backwards society in which we live. Isaiah prophesied about it and said that that's what was going on in their day and age, and certainly it's going on in our day and age. The things that are right are being blasted as being bad. The things that are wrong are being heralded as being good and right and tolerated and celebrated. And I could go on and on, and I don't want to bore everybody tonight, this morning and give illustrations and examples of this. All of us know and are very keenly aware of the fact that our society is perverse. It's also corrupt, uh, and that's found here in verse 15, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, perverse Uh, Another uh, way of saying that is corrupt. We live in a corrupt society, and again, it's not doing really any good to talk about it. It's something that we're all very aware of. But 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, Paul said this, um, and we're living in these days now. He said, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. 
for men shall be lovers of them of their own selves. In other words, men are going to kind of worship themselves, and that's what's happening in our culture today. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous. They'll be boasters, uh, always bragging about who they are and what they've done. They'll be proud. They'll be blasphemers, not thinking anything of taking the Lord's name in vain. They'll be disobedient to parents. Ouch. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Well, we see that today, don't we? Those who try to do what's right, those who try to preach the truth, boy, they are hated, run through the mud. They are, uh, he goes on to say, there's going to be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Friend, we are definitely, no question about it, no doubt about it, we are living in the last days. We're all very aware that sin abounds in this day and age. We know that we're living in a godless society where everyone is doing that which is right in his own eyes. Okay, so so what are we to do about it? I know. We're to shake our heads in disgust over how bad it's getting, aren't we? Look, we need to spend our time and energy talking about the good old days and how it used to be. That's what we need to do. We need to go hide and become hermits. And just to try to hang on until Jesus comes. That's what we're to do, right? Look, I'm thankful for the good old days. And, and I also am disgusted about where the society is headed. But our reaction to this perverse world is not to hide and be hermits. But, uh, and to talk about how bad it is out there. No, it's time to build some lighthouses. And to be a bright and shining light. Titus chapter 2. Verse number 12, God's word says, God's grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. In this culture in which we live, we are to live godly. That means we're not to become like the culture around us. That means we're to live according to God's word. We're also to live according to God's word in this present world. In other words, we are to be bright and shining lights. We're to build some lighthouses. And that leads me to number three this this morning, a powerful witness. And verse number 15 again at the end of that verse, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And then verse 16, holding forth the word of life. First we see in this our responsibility. Our responsibility is to shine as lights. Like, like the moon, Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God made the sun and, and God made two great lights, the one that ruled today, the rule of the day and one the rule of the night. Of course, all of us know that the moon, the moon has no light source of its own. It's simply reflecting the sun. That, of course, is a great illustration of who you and I are to be. We're to be moons. We're to reflect the light of Jesus Christ to this dark, dark world. How are we doing in that? We're to shine as lights. Obviously, we are living in darkness. Decisions made in the darkness can lead to some regrettable consequences, to be sure. 
I read about uh, a man here back in the days before electricity. A, a tight-fisted old farmer was taking his hired man to task for carrying a lighted lantern when he went to call on his best girl. He's like, what's that lantern doing there? He said, why? Why, he exclaimed, when I went to court and I never carried one of them things, I always went in the dark. Yes, the hired man said Riley, and look what you got. Good to have the light, isn't it? I'm glad that I could see my wife, and I'm glad that I got what I got. A little girl got home from Sunday school where she had been taught Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. She asked her mother what the verse meant. Her mom said, well, it means when you are good and kind and thoughtful and obedient, you're letting Christ, Christ's light shine in your life before all who know you. The very next week in Sunday school, the little girl got in a bit of a fracas with another student and created somewhat of an uproar to such an extent that the Sunday school teacher had to find her mother to get her settled down. Her mother was concerned when she got to the classroom and said, Sweetie, don't you remember about letting your light shine before the Lord and before men? The, the girl blurted out, Mom, I guess I just have blown myself out. We need to make sure that we don't blow ourselves out. We need to make sure that we keep the lights on. And so our responsibility is to shine brightly, to shine in this world, among, shine as lights in the world. All right, so that's our responsibility, but notice here our resource. In verse number 16, holding forth the word of life. Are we just to try to just muster all this on our own and be as strong as we can and be as, you know, try to be as bright as we can? No, we're to hold forth the word of life. This is the word of life. This is the bread of life. And we're to hold this forth in this generation. The word of life is powerful. It has changed my life. And I suspect many of you, it's changed your life as well. This is the thing that's going to make the difference. You know, my personality is not going to make the difference. My Charming good looks are not going to make the difference. And you would probably say a hearty amen to that one. But listen, what's going to make the difference is the powerful word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God's going to make the difference. It's made the difference in my life and in many others in the past. One of the most dramatic examples of the Bible's divine ability to transform men and women involved the famous mutiny on Bounty. Following their rebellion against the notorious Captain Bly, nine mutineers, along with the Tahitian men and women who accompanied them, found their way to uh, uh, Picarian Island, a tiny dot in the South Pacific, only two miles long and a mile wide. Ten years later, drink and fighting had left only one man alive, John Adams. Eleven women and 23 children made up the rest of the island's population. So far, this is the familiar story made famous in the book and the motion picture. But the rest of the story is even more remarkable. About this time, Adams came across the Bounty's Bible in the bottom of an old chest. He began to read it. 
and the divine power of God's word reached into the heart of that hardened murderer on a tiny volcanic speck in the vast Pacific Ocean and changed his life forever. The peace and love that Adams found in the Bible entirely replaced the old life of quarreling, brawling, and liquor. He then began to teach the children from the Bible until every person on the island had experienced the same amazing change that he had found. Back in 1988, with a population of slightly less than 100, nearly every person on that island had become a Christian, all because of one Bible. It's powerful. That's why we need to hold this forth as a torch in this dark world. This is the light. This is the life. I read another story uh, many years ago in a Moscow theater. Matinee idol Alexander Rostevov, and I don't know if I'm saying his name right, he was converted while playing the role of Jesus in a sacrilegious play entitled Christ in a Tuxedo. He was supposed to read two verses from the Sermon on the Mount, remove his gown and cry out, give me my tuxedo and top hat. That was his line. But as he read the words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He began to tremble. Instead of following the script, he kept reading from Matthew chapter 5, ignoring the coughs, calls, and foot stamping of his fellow actors. Finally, recalling a verse he had learned in his childhood in a Russian Orthodox church, he cried, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And before the curtain could be lowered, this man had trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. The power of the Word of God. This is why we're to hold it forth. This is our great resource. Holding forth the word of life. Are you holding forth the word of life? Last thought this this morning and we'll be done. We see lastly here a pressing weight. Here's kind of the reason why we're to do all things without murmuring and disputing. Here's the reason why we are to be a a, a powerful witness in the midst of a perverse world because this pressing weight that Paul felt in verse number 16. He says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The fact is there is coming a day and there's our future reality. There is coming a day when we will have to also stand at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ as believers. This was weighing on Paul's mind. And he said, you know, I want you to do this. I want you to stop the murmuring, stop the disputing. I want you to be effective witnesses because, yes, this is a crooked society. Yes, this is a corrupt world. We need to shine brightly in this world and holding forth the word of life because one day I'm going to have to answer for the ministry of this church. Our future reality is that all of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, not me. I'm not going to. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a doctor's note. I'm going to get some excuse out of that. No, you're not. You're going to be there if you're a believer. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to the F done, whether it be good or bad. 
Paul felt an even greater burden as someone who was, it had some authority and, and some influence over, over these believers. Hebrews talks about how they that watch for their souls, that they may give an account with joy. And certainly, uh, since I became a pastor, I now have that same weight that I carry, that I'm going to have to stand before Jesus Christ and answer for Cornerstone Baptist Church. And you know, it's going to either be with joy or it's going to be unprofitable for you. I want to encourage all of us not just to follow my example, but to follow Christ um, and to uh, understand that we are going to face that same reality. And it is a future reality that all of us have. And so what should our present response be? Our present response should be to be faithful. And he realized that he had one life to live and he didn't want to squander it. He didn't want his life to be in vain. He didn't want his labor to be in vain. He said in verse 16, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. He said, look, I only have a short time here on this earth. I don't want anything in my life to be empty, to be vain, to be uh, worthless. I want to make sure that what I'm doing is going to count and matter and, and affect eternity. And so he's hoping that these Philippians will, will get behind this idea of, of knocking off the complaining and start shining for Christ. He's hoping they'll do that so that as he faces the Lord, it won't be this, well, the Philippian church, they understood what you said, but they didn't do it. He's going to go, ah, I don't even know if I should have writ that book, wrote that book at all. Now, obviously, uh, Paul later said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul's labor was not in vain in the Lord. But he wanted to make sure that those, those Christians were going to take the truth that he, that he was trying to impart to them and actually live it. Friend, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I don't think anyone's going to go, I wish I would have given less. I wish I would have done less for Christ. I don't think anybody's going to feel that way. I think people are going to say, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have been a more effective witness. I wish that I would have talked to more people about Christ. I wish that I, I would have given more invitations to our church. I wish I was more soul conscious. May this truth of the fact that one day you and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ be pressing in our hearts as well. May it encourage us to knock off the complaining and the griping because unsaved people know how to do that just fine. Let's let us be different because of who God is and what he's done in our lives. We have so much to be thankful for. And I realize it's not Thanksgiving yet, even though some people are already decorating for Thanksgiving. But I'm telling you, God wants us to stop griping and start being grateful. God wants us to do that in order that we might be a blameless, harmless, without rebuke type of a witness in our very, very perverse nation. And we need to hold forth the word of life because... We're going, to have, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. 
Daniel Webster said, my greatest thought is my accountability to God. He kept that before him. It was a pressing weight in Webster's heart. It was a pressing weight in Paul's heart. Is it a pressing weight in yours? Hope so. Do you remember uh, Motel 6? Whether you're a fan of Motel 6 or not, you might remember their slogan a few years ago. We'll leave the light on for you. You remember that? I remember that. We'll leave the light on for you. Look, if a, if a hotel can leave the light on for you, that's maybe, in some people's opinion, not the greatest hotel in the history of hotels. If they're willing to leave the light on for you, how much more should we as believers leave the light on for the people around us to know the truth? And look, it's more, it should be more than just a marketing slogan. It should be the motto of our life. It should be our life. I realize that, look, you know, we're not missionaries in the traditional sense of the word, but we are all missionaries. We all need to be the lights in this community in which we live. And just like the lighthouse keeper, people are depending on us to complete our jobs. Some responsibilities are an opportunity to be a witness for Christ. Do we keep our lights shining? Are we showing responsibility by shining for Christ in this dark world, sharing the way of safety with people who are drowning in sin and misery? Are we? Are we keeping the lights on? I hope the answer is yes. If not, I hope that tonight or this, this morning you'll, you'll flip the switch, turn the light on for you. And as you walk away from this, it's not about what we hear in here now. It's about how we live out there and what we say outside of these walls. Are we going to be lights this afternoon as we go to the restaurants? Are you going to be a light tomorrow when you go to work? Teenager, are you going to be a light when you go to school tomorrow? Or as we go into the community, as you go to the dentist this week, or get your hair cut, or get an oil change, or whatever you're going to do this week, are you going to be a light in this community? Is your light going to be on? Because that person that God puts in your path this week might be going through a very dangerous storm and is about ready to hit the rocks and perish. Are you going to be the one that's going to be a light to show them the way to the truth? Or are you going to say, you know what, not today. You don't know what I've been through today. I mean, this has happened in my health. This has happened in my finances. This happened at work today. This happened at school today. If you only knew, do you see why Paul says, do all things without murmurings and disputings? Let's let God use us to be a bright and shining light here in more this week. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. Oh, God, I pray that you would help us all, Lord, to confess the sin of murmuring and disputing and how many times we fall into that. Help us, Lord, to stop. Help us, instead of counting our blisters, help us, Lord, to count our blessings and to name them one by one. 
Help us, Lord, to do that so that we might be an effective, powerful witness for you in the midst of this very perverse world in which we live. Lord, help us to keep in mind the fact that one day we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ as believers.